Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Well, Donald Trump whack, totally whacked out tweet this morning. Uh, Elizabeth Warren asking him in a follow-up tweet if he's slut-shaming Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, it's, it's, uh, he's, it's just bizarre going after her, saying that she comes to his office and would do anything for a campaign contribution. Uh, Roy Moore's, one of his friends last night, gave a great speech about how when they were in Vietnam together, they went to a brothel filled with underage girls. The punchline was Roy Moore was horrified and he left. I want to buy a bridge. And, (laughs) well, who knows? Uh, Zephyr Tishout has some interesting thoughts on the whole uh, uh, Al Franken thing. There's just a lot in the news today. Of course, the election in Alabama and at the top of the election in Alabama, uh, we had Greg Pallast on yesterday and he was talking about how a a judge in Alabama had just said that the voting machines in Alabama, the scanners that that scan the, the, uh, the ballots that you fill in, you know, you fill in little circles, that the images that are kept on those, uh, by those voting machines need to be kept because that's what's used for an audit. They don't actually audit the paper, they audit the images, oddly enough. And then the uh, Alabama Supreme Court said, no, nah, you don't have to keep those images. That was later yesterday afternoon, after we got off the air. On the line with us to discuss this is uh, Mimi Kennedy, the actor, activist, writer, supporter of Governor Don Siegelman, the board chair of Progressive Democrats of America, progressivepdamerica.org, uh, star of the hit CB, uh, series Mom on CBS, although she's not here representing CBS. pdamerica.org is the website. Uh, you can tweet her at Mimi Kennedy LA or at PD America. Mimi, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. I'm so glad to be here, but I'm not happy about the reason I... I thought I was going to be telling you about a wonderful election integrity win by nonpartisan election integrity activist John Brakey in Alabama, getting a judge to agree that preserving the ballot images of all the paper ballots that are scanned is an important aspect of public documents preservation for all elections. It's a federal and a state law. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm here to tell you instead that once John got that ruling in the morning with four Alabama voter plaintiffs, a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, and a preacher, uh, the state attorney general went right to court and told the judge, no, 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 on behalf of the secretary of state. And the argument, in part, that the secretary of state had was, I can't tell my county officials what to do. That, that's not my responsibility. You, 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 you asked the wrong defendant remedy. I, the secretary said, you have to go to every single county. I can't do anything. And the second was, and you, have, you can't prove there's any harm done to anybody, any of these plaintiffs, by not keeping these ballot images. You can't prove any imminent harm. That's what they're always saying about election integrity. Well, you can't prove... There's fraction magic in the program. You can't prove anybody's stealing an election and forget about you. Right. Now, isn't this uh, uh, Secretary of State also the guy who uh, wrote or promoted or, uh, in fact, aggressively promoted the, uh, the draconian voter ID laws and voter suppression laws in the state of Alabama and, and came right Darryl. out and said he was yeah. doing it to break the black power the hold of black power is, I'm doing this from, from recollection. I've got the story around here someplace. Uh, in the yeah. state? Well, I uh, missed that part of racist Alabama officialdom. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I was doing at the time, but I will say that John Merrill oversees the Alabama that has that ID law, and that once they required IDs, they closed the DMV offices in majority African-American counties so that it was damn near impossible to get the voter ID that you needed. That was before the 2016 election. Yeah. Here's, here's what here's what he had to say. Um, uh, this is uh, from uh, Pima Levy writing from from Mother Jones. Okay. And uh, uh, Pima writes, this time last year, Alabama's chief elections official uh, landed in the national spotlight for delivering a screed against non-voters that many people interpreted as an attack on African-Americans in the state who have long faced barriers to voting. Quote, that now we're quoting John Merrill, um, quote, if you're too sorry or lazy to get up off your rear and go register to vote or to register electronically and then go to vote, then you don't deserve that privilege, Republican John Merrill said in an interview with documentary filmmaker Brian Jenkins. Levy wrote, quote, Jenkins had asked why he opposed automatically registering Alabamians uh, when they reach voting age and his response sizzled with anger toward people who, quote, think they deserve the right because they've turned 18. He made a pledge, quote, as long as I'm secretary of state of Alabama, you're going to have to show some initiative to become a registered voter in this state. And uh, this, of course, justifying his voter suppression laws. Pretty amazing stuff. Well, you know, uh, makes me want to cry. And I guess I can only I can only add something very well this morning on National Public Radio. I listened a little bit up because I knew they would be covering Alabama, and they had a wonderfully energetic Vietnam vet, African-American, who uh, runs barbershops, and he uh, said he had voted for Donald Trump because Donald Trump says what he means. He just speaks outright, you know? There is a lot of um, wish for authenticity, and then for the white voters they talked to, it's all about abortion. Um, I gave a speech in Alabama last May begging people of Bible-oriented consciousness or morality to get off that dime and think about who's being hurt by, for instance, the new tax law, 
by, for instance, eradicating people's health care. This is the balance of power, and this is the way Republicans have been playing. And at this point, John Brakey doesn't even say Republicans, Democrats. He's just about how do the voters say what they want, authentic, talking, and some health care. Those two things are separate right now, because if you want authentic talking, then you have to go for this narrative, which is completely, I think, completely false, that the Republicans are telling it like it is. And then if you want that, then you can't have health care. You can't have any help for the babies you have. You must submit to sexual predation because it's on the down low, and nobody would believe this nice, upstanding man did such a thing. It's a... It's got me right here. It's stuck in my craw. But what you just read, that a man who's the Secretary of State could say that kind of racist, the antebellum stuff, is um, is just, well, I'm in California, and I was born in Rochester, New York. So I haven't lived in the South, and I guess it still, it still breaks my heart that that's public talk from white yeah. officials in the South. I mean, I know it is. I'm not naive. But when you hear it like that, it's... it's well, there's, uh, there's no shortage of Republicans around the country who, in unguarded moments or moments of braggadocio, have just come right out I and knew. said that they're doing these voter suppression things, not because they think that people are voting illegally. Everybody knows that's a joke. Nobody's actually doing that. But rather because it makes it harder for poor people to vote, particularly people of color older people to vote if their driver's licenses have expired. Now they've changed the rules so that you're, you have to have an active license. Um, so they're going to start aging. You're going to be aging out of your ability to vote, which I think is unconstitutional. And, 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 and college students who, you know, don't yet have driver's licenses yeah. or, or, you know, uh, in some cases, they just make it very, very difficult for them to determine where their residency is so they can vote. So well, anyhow. We see, we see see that here in L.A. And, and by race, your life is at stake um, yeah. most nights. Yeah, we got we to gotta fix this. Uh, Mimi, Mimi yeah. Kennedy, the uh, board chair of Progressive Democrats of America, pdamerica.org, PD America, very active in all of these things and the net neutrality thing that's going on today. Mimi, thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome, Tom. Great talking with you. Keep up the great work. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. More of the news of the day, my thoughts, and your calls after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, the Alabama Supreme Court says we don't need to keep no stinking ballots. If there's a recount, uh, there won't be a recount. (laughs) You know, it's just... We don't care about election integrity in Alabama. We're Alabama. Seriously? I mean, really? This is, there have been several articles published in the last uh, few months in places like The Hill and Politico and, and uh, The New York Times, actually, I've seen a couple, uh, about how Trump is essentially packing the courts right now. For the last two years of the Obama administration, Mitch McConnell prevented the Obama administration from getting the vast majority of their court appointees, federal courts around the country, uh, from getting their judges appointed. And so all of those, what should have been Obama appointees, including Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court, became Trump appointees. So he put, you know, Neil Gorsuch, a right-wing crazy guy, on the Supreme Court. And, And then you've also got, you know, all these lower courts that are being packed. And this is what happens when you have 
a Republican packed court is they say things like, hey, it doesn't matter if there's voter, if there's election fraud. It doesn't matter. We don't need to keep those stinking images. So there's that, as Mimi was just telling us. Number two today is Break the Internet Day. And uh, c-cyte.com is a great site for that, or breakthe-internet.com. There's a bunch of them. Uh, organizations all over the place are, are talking about the, uh, the, you know, this whole uh, Internet situation. In fact, there's a fascinating piece in the New York Times about how an Internet service provider in Sweden, Telia Company AB, came out and said, you know, on your mobile phone, if you exceed your data plan, if you've got a data plan that says you got three gigs of data a month and you burn through those three gigs of data, of course, then they throttle your data. Everything goes super slow and you basically can't use your data. But they said, we will continue to not throttle Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram. Presumably, now I, I can't say for sure, but presumably Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram are paying for this. Um, or, you know, it's some kind of promotion for the ISP, but it's not net neutrality. And so the Swedish regulators are suing this company, Talia. But, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal in Europe because, you know, for example, Britain has 50 different internet service providers. You have a lot of choices. So there's still competition. In the United States, about half of Americans only have access to one internet provider. I mean, how many, how many cables come into your house? Right. And so, uh, you know, these mega mergers and things like this. So this is called zero ratings, by the way, zero rating protection, where you say, uh, you know, we're going to let a company that pays us have faster access to our clients than everybody else. Um, it happened in India in February and the regulators shut it down. They federal in, in this is from The New York Times piece today by Liz Alderman and Amy Sang. In February, uh, Indian regulators shut down a separate Facebook zero rating deal with a mobile phone carrier, Reliance Communications, saying carriers should not be, quote, allowed to shape the user's Internet experience. And uh, in, in Portugal, they're starting to break these things up. I mean, it, the, you're seeing ISPs all over the world saying we control this data and we can figure out ways to jack up the profits on this thing. And, uh, you know, if if Ajit Pai blows up, blows up the Internet day after tomorrow, you know, does away with net neutrality, it's going to be a, a horrible and messy thing for the United States. OK, Kirsten Gillibrand. There were four people who called yesterday for Donald Trump to resign. Four people. Three of them were men. One of them was Kirsten Gillibrand. And so Donald Trump tweets out. This, this disgusting tweet this morning. He says, uh, lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer and someone who had come to my office, quote, begging, end quote, for campaign contributions not so long ago, parenthesis, and would do anything for them, close parenthesis. Now, keep in mind, this is Donald Trump saying this about a woman. Is now in the ring fighting against Trump. Very disloyal to Bill and Crooked used. Well, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, she, she's sitting in, in, I believe, in the old seat of, of Hillary Clinton. And she was helped by the Clintons in her political career. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, she's also come out and said Bill Clinton should have resigned when the Monica Lewinsky stuff came out. 
but but now is 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 Donald Trump? I mean, this is Elizabeth Warren tweets back and says, "Are you really trying to bully, intimidate, and slut shame Senator Gillibrand? Do you know who you're picking a fight with? Good luck with that, Donald Trump." Nevertheless, she persisted. That's Elizabeth Warren. Um, there, and and Kirsten Gillibrand had earlier uh, tweeted. Uh, you cannot silence me or the millions of women who have gotten off the sidelines to speak out about the unfitness and shame you, Donald Trump, have brought to the Oval Office. That's Kirsten Gillibrand. But is he suggesting that she offered him sex in exchange for campaign contributions? Because given Trump and Trump's history, when he says she'd do anything, that's what immediately comes to mind. Now, of course, he's going to say, oh, I didn't mean that. But... What, do you, what is his base going to think? We'll be back with your thoughts on all of this right after this. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. More of the news of the day, my thoughts, and your calls right after this. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X-Chair want you to feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X, chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X-Chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom, that's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com. And be sure to use THOM as the promo code for your $100 discount. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Elizabeth in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I think you want to respond to the earlier male caller who well, said, why don't, why don't these women just report their, their uh, sexual assaults to the police? Exactly. Yes. I just wanted to talk about a personal situation I had many years ago. Um, I, uh, I had been uh, in, a condi- in a situation where it was an attempted rape. Uh, I'm a pretty feisty person, so I basically knocked him on his ass, but I had to take off, and I had left my car several miles away, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was the middle of the night. So I'm walking um, back towards my car, and I saw a um, police car come by, and I, I hailed him. And uh, they stopped, and I explained what had happened, and that my car was like, you know, three miles away and all. And they basically looked at me and said, well, it's your own fault, and drove away. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is what happens all the time. Was it like a variation on you shouldn't have worn that dress or you shouldn't have been out late at night alone? I mean, is that essentially the message? Exactly. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, it's part of our culture that has been there for so long. It's so embedded. Uh, I do agree absolutely that we as women do need to be more assertive. Um, I tend to be that way. 
Um, but, you know, it's really dispiriting when you come across this kind of an attitude day after day after day. I remember my own, my own uh, father saying to me, well, you're way too sensitive. Uh, right and the the implicit we we face yeah and 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 the implication of all that and it's and it's not even i mean it's not even subtle uh but the implication of all that is basically that uh men's sex drives are continuously out of control and that that's normal and that and that women are the property of men i mean it, it is when when i hear men uh saying you know uh even to attack roy moore I have daughters and granddaughters. It's 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 it sounds proprietary. You know, it sounds like well, you know, they're they're my property, and I'm concerned about them. We should be concerned about all, you know, about all all people here, and 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 this, which is a you know a fine thing. And I and and I don't want to super parse this, but I think that your your point is really really well made, Elizabeth. And and you. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, and and to your point, um, if you think about it, um, this is what women face when they're uh, in a in a country where the Taliban rules or or uh, ISIS. Yes. It's the same attitude, and we better think about that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, and and that's coming out of religious fundamentalism, and and I would say that Roy Moore is coming out of religious fundamentalism. Absolutely. And and these Absolutely. people call themselves Christians, and they are not followers of Christ. They don't even they don't even practice what Christ taught. They they are, Absolutely. you know, whether it's. Uh, uh, you know the 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 mega church people who are who are big supporters of the Republicans, or whether it's uh, you know Roy Moore and, and friends. These these people are not Christian. They are not followers of Christ. They can call themselves anything they damn well want, but uh, but they are not. And 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 yeah. Anyway, I'm blithering here. Elizabeth, thank you for the no, call. That's okay. I'm right with you. <laughs> okay. Very well said. Thank you very much. I got to move along. Thank you, Tim in Reno, Nevada. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I've listened to you a long time. Two things. Um, I would just love nothing better than to hear you and Norman Goldman talk the issues of the day. I listen to both of you, and you're both great. Seriously. My second point is uh, both you and he and listeners to both your shows have said something along the lines that we don't have civics education in our schools anymore. Right. I'm wondering uh, how you come to this, uh, I don't know, conclusion with heavy uh, quotation marks around it. Uh, I taught government history for 28 years, and um, I'm just curious about that comment. I thought I taught it well, um, but I just want to hear you reiterate why you think there's no civics education, you and Norman. Sure. When I was a kid in the 1950s, in third, fourth, fifth grade, we took classes in civics and also in junior high school. Um, And in fact, we had to memorize the uh, preamble to the Constitution and the Gettysburg Address. We had to we had to learn, you know, the three branches of government, all this kind of stuff, the stuff that you were teaching. And it was broadly accepted across the United States. There were there was no federal mandate for it. Or anything like that, but it was just broadly understood in the 1950s and 1960s that without a good, solid education that that comprehensively informed us how our government worked and the philosophy behind it, the philosophy of the Enlightenment. What was John Locke talking about that that Jefferson plagiarized for the Declaration of Independence, for example? 
Um, you know, without that understanding, we can't have a functioning democracy. Then uh, when, and, and our schools were relatively, you know, our class sizes were reasonable, schools were good, at least in white neighborhoods, which was my experience. I, and, and I, you know, I realized that this is, uh, uh, you know, things have changed a lot in a lot of ways. And, and in the 1950s, there were a lot of people of color who didn't even have access to schools. Um, and in the 1960s as well. I mean, look at what happened in Virginia. But, but that said, during the Reagan era, when Bill Bennett became the director of the education department, uh, after calling for the abolition of SAME, the, the willingness of the federal government to, to cut back on any kind of support to education and to, in, and, and to basically encourage the process whereby schools are almost exclusively funded by property taxes or largely funded by property taxes, really set in stone the rigid caste system in the United States that has to do with primary education, uh, which is to say, if you live in an upscale neighborhood with high property taxes because they have high property values, your kids are going to go to a good school where they probably are going to study civics and they are going to learn about government. On the other hand, if you live in a, in a community that has a, you know, a low tax base and therefore poor public schools, odds are your kids are not going to be studying that. It's considered basically, and since the 80s, it has been more or less been considered an elective in many states. And then you look at how, starting during the Reagan years, major efforts down in Texas, which is the largest purchaser of textbooks in the United States, and therefore is the tail that wags the dog of the textbook publishing companies. They were, they were you know, demanding, now this was in the 80s, there were small changes, but as recently as 10 years ago on this program, we did a whole show about this. We had, you know, I had people on from, uh, you know, a person who was running for the Texas school board that, or, the, or whatever the agency is that, that makes those decisions, talking about how they, they had ordered the textbook publishers to dial back on Thomas Jefferson, John Locke, George Washington, all that stuff, because those are all, you know, dead people and increase the amount of information that's being told about Rush Limbaugh and the, the rise of the conservative movement in the 1950s and 60s in the United States and the Reagan presidency in the 80s. This was in the early 2000s. And so, you know, our textbooks are being rewritten, essentially, to contain this information. The textbooks now even go so far, and I realize this isn't, you know, specific to the conversation that you and I are having about civics, but now we've got textbooks, actual public school textbooks that are being used that present climate change as a debate and that present the age of the earth as a debate. This is nuts. That's, that's my rant, Tim. You, you, well, I, I was just wondering, um, that pretty much explains it. I just, and I understand, I'm not just uh, trying to butter you up. I, I understand what you just said. There's uh, real uh, information there, seriously. But I, I, implicit, at least tell me if I'm wrong, implicit in what you're saying is, you don't trust us teachers to be in there doing the grunt work and actually resisting this. No, uh, that's not my point. That's uh, not my point at all, Tim. Textbooks is, you know, part of what drove me, you know, to retire kind of early at only age 56 in 2010. Yeah. But I'm no, that's, wondering. Tim, please, that's um, not, that's not my trust, point. Do you trust us to, to carry on the battle? I do. I, you know, teachers are one of the greatest resources we have in the United States. They are underpaid and overworked. And, and over in most places and, and, and frankly overburdened, again, because of this stupid property tax system that, that is a way of making sure that communities, particularly communities of color, um, have a harder time lifting themselves out of poverty than very wealthy, largely white communities. 
but the, the, the forces that are, that are working to reduce the teaching of science and government and civics, those forces are very, very clear. These, these, are, these are political forces that are being motivated by religious fanatics and by the fossil fuel industry, uh, almost exclusively. And, and, they are, and they are, you know, there and present, and they are pushing their agenda. They're pushing their agenda in the form of the textbooks. And we now, got, we now have this thing of Scientology. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, this, uh, this is from the Huffington Post uh, yesterday. Inside the voucher schools that teach L. Ron Hubbard but say they're not Scientologists, Bessie DeVos wants to expand school voucher programs throughout the U.S., Get ready for that list to include schools that promote Scientology. Turns out there's 8,000 schools in the United States right now, most, uh, virtually all of them private schools, many of them for-profit schools, many of them not for-profit, but nonetheless these private schools that are teaching L. Ron Hubbard. And this is the stuff that Betsy DeVos is promoting. We have, you know, it's not, this is not an issue of, t- of teachers, Tim. This is an issue of structural stuff that is doing tremendous damage to the United States, to our school systems, to our students, and, and frankly, to our, to, our political, to our political culture. It's very, very uh, troubling, in my opinion. Tim, I got to run, but thank you for the call. We'll be right back. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, some fascinating stuff going on. Uh, Kali Akuno is uh, the... Uh, co-editor, I guess, of this book called Jackson Rising, The Struggle for Economic Democracy and Black Self-Determination in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, it, it, which is an extraordinary uh, book and event in and of itself. Uh, he's also going to be, Kali uh, is going to be a, a, appearing at a special event with Dr. Richard Wolff, regular on our program, on the 19th of this month in Brooklyn, New York. It's free to the public. You can RSVP for that if you'd like to show up at uh, democracyatwork.info, which is Richard Wolf's website. Uh, Kali, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all, uh, before we get into uh, the whole, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's going on down in uh, Alabama, uh, tell us about Jackson, Mississippi and the essence of your book. Uh, the essence of the book is about uh, a 12-year experiment uh, that myself and many other social movement actors have been uh, playing, orchestrating, uh, moving on to really try to build some progressive power uh, in the city. Uh, and we've had a little bit of success over the past uh, 12 years. Some of you in your audience might know of the recent electoral victory of Chokwe Antar Lumumba and four years before him, uh, his father Chokwe uh, Lumumba, who unexpectedly uh, past just a short eight months into uh, office. Um, so we've had different measures of success, and, and part of this book is just really trying to encapsulate all that and also give some projection of uh, where we're trying to go and what we're trying to build and uh, how we see it as transformative, and we really wanted to uh, just try to educate a broader social movement uh, mm-hmm. about the possibilities and potentials of doing solidarity economy uh, work and, and building. Uh, but also utilizing more direct forms and participatory forms of democracy in the form of people's assembly uh, to also accomplish a lot of your goals. So uh, these are the things we really wanted to try to encapsulate and pass on uh, from our experience over this past decade. Yeah, I thought your your uh, your first chapter that, that you wrote in this thing is one of the best summaries of the importance of, 
of well you you, you quote uh, politics without economics is symbol without substance you write this old black nationalist adage summarizes and defines cooperative jackson's relationship to the jackson kush plan etc and uh you know spot on and, and it's, it's a really great analysis so mississippi's not alabama but it's next door what what does, what is the consequence to people living in the deep south in the old confederate south of a Roy Moore victory if that were to happen? Or for that matter, what's the consequence for Doug Jones' victory? Well, I mean, um, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm seriously hoping that everyone in Alabama uh, made a wise choice and, and uh, did not pick Moore. Uh, my fear is that he's going to make it. And the choice won't just be limited uh, of choosing him, won't just be limited to the Deep South. Uh, I think as Trump has made clear, uh, his seat, his voice, his politics uh, are central to a very reactionary agenda um, that they're trying to push through. And if he makes it, um, you know, they'll just have another solid block to, to force down our throats. Uh, things like this, this, you know, totally regressive uh, tax uh, bill, uh, which in my view is total just uh, piracy. Uh, but, you know, they're aiming at Social Security, they're aiming uh, still to uh, destroy the Affordable Health Care Act. Um, you name it. Uh, if it has some social benefit uh, and if it benefits uh, working people, they are aiming for it, they're coming for it. And if he's elected, uh, it'll impact everyone in the United States uh, without question. So really hoping that the folks in Alabama make uh, what I would consider a wise choice and not bringing him uh, into office to further advance this agenda. I think in a very real way, the Alabama race is micro to the macro, to the larger picture of what's going on in the entire United States. And it certainly seems to me as as a white man that the Me Too movement, the, you know, the, 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 the rise of, of women speaking out and not and, you know, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore on the one hand mm -hmm. and the blatant racism and misogyny that 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 Donald Trump rode to victory, you could argue, I think, uh, and, and that has been activated or, or at least exposed in the white community. Charlottesville was probably the best example of this. It seems to me that both of these, even though they're at a moment of, of, of kind of climax, they're at a moment of, of, of uh, you know, heightened awareness and, and, and heightened... Uh, media attention and whatnot in ways that might cause people to think that, you know, misogyny and racism are actually on the rise. It seems to me that they're actually being exposed and that the people who tenaciously cling to these kinds of perspectives are the people, you know, in, in my generation, the boomers who are dying off right now and, and, and that some real substantial change is actually happening. Um, am I just, you know, watching the world through rose-colored glasses, or is that, is that your perspective as well? This is my perspective as well. I mean, uh, how I've been viewing this, and I think how our movement in general in Jackson's been, been, been viewing this, is that this is really kind of the last gasp of, um, you know, this, this old dying worldview and uh, perspective. Um, and anything that's kind of feels like it's boxed in the corner, it's on its last legs, it's going to fight and fight like hell uh, to preserve itself. And I think that's what we've witnessed, not just with Donald Trump, but I think that's what we've been witnessing most of the last 
you know, almost 20 years. Um, and I think this is now coming to a close. And in reality, I think like what you see with the, the tax bill, uh, this is really let's let's steal anything that can be stolen uh, and let's take it all and hoard it for as long as we can uh, because we know the game is up. Uh, the demographics uh, are shifting in such a way that this type of politics won't be supported. They're not making any deep political gains in new uh, communities, uh, either in the black community or the uh, Asian community or uh, the Latino different communities that exist. Uh, and so they're, they're really kind of on their last gas. Uh, they're manipulating the system in, in all the different ways they can by creating gerrymandered districts and uh, trying to restrict people's voting access and voting rights. Uh, but this is really, I see it as, as acts of desperation. Uh, but there's still a role that we have to play uh, that can't be overlooked, uh, which is we have, we have to build the organizations uh, that are necessary uh, to block these last gas and to really build a new future. And so we, we can't just assume that they're going to go away just because the demographics point in a different direction, potentially, or that the politics in and of themselves point in a different direction because of the demographics. Yeah. Uh, we actually have to work for the change that we want, uh, and that's a critical thing, I think, that uh, the election in Alabama really points to. And I think, as, as President Obama pointed out uh, two, three days ago, uh, we shouldn't underestimate how potentially fragile a democracy can be as well. That's correct. I mean, I think we've, if anything, I think the, the last year, I think, has exhibited that. Yeah. And uh, if you listen, I think, very clearly to the rhetoric, particularly of, of, you know, number 45, he's aiming right at democracy. I mean, I remember his 100-day speech where he was saying that the Constitution uh, in many respects, was a problem and, and a barrier uh, to his actual uh, program. And I'm not one who thinks the Constitution is the end-all to be-all by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but to totally eliminate it uh, in, in the context of uh, empowering himself and his politics would be, you know, uh, cataclysmic to yeah. the least, not just for people in the United States, but I think for people all around the world. Amen. what his ambitions are and, and uh, what his tactics are about. Um, so it's, it's a very fragile entity. Uh, it's something that I think there's a level of protecting it. I agree. Kali, Kali, hang on just a second here. We're going to hit a break. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Kali Akuno, the co-director of Cooperation Jackson, cooperationjackson.org. You can tweet him at Kali Akuno. The book is Jackson Rising, The Struggle for Economic Democracy. Thank you so much. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Sue in Cologne, Minnesota. Hey, Sue, what's on your mind today? Has anybody noticed how this whole situation with our government, and actually thanks to Putin, that there's, it's, this is getting very close to what Hitler did and became very, very important, killed a lot of people, did a lot of damage, was looking Kind of the same here in the United States. We're doing a lot of damage to our own people. What are we going to do about that? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, Sue. I, I wrote a piece that I submitted uh, Sunday to Alternet. I thought it was going up today. Maybe it'll go up tonight. Uh, basically based on uh, President Obama saying that it, it's if, if we're not careful, if we don't tend to the garden of democracy, it could go away. And he referenced Nazi Germany. 
I do, you know, Jimmy Carter was on this program three, four years ago, and he said, you know, we're, we're no longer a democracy. We're an oligarchy with unlimited political bribery, his expression. You can find it uh, it's right. living over on YouTube. Uh, I don't disagree. I, when the, when, after 9-11, I was very concerned. I published a book called We the People. Uh, it's an it's a, it's a illustrated book, but um, uh, about how I felt that the George W. Bush administration through the, uh, through the NNDAs and, and the Patriot Act in particular, were moving us in the direction of a police state or a fascistic state. Donald Trump has moved us in that direction extraordinarily faster. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, an awful lot of the, of the uh, government prying and spying and whatnot that, that was uh, foisted upon us by Bush and Cheney was not rolled back by Obama and Biden and, and now is being reused or even amplified. I mean, look at the, look at the people from the J-20 protests in Washington, D.C. You've got, you've got a bunch of people who are looking at 60, 70 years in prison for simply being in the vicinity of some people who broke some windows. It's the, the you know, it just goes on and on. The, 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 uh, the culture, the, the political culture in this country is getting downright scary. I, I, I completely agree, Sue, and I think it's time that we all pay very careful attention. I don't want to sound like the John Birch Society or, or, or you know, uh, uh, Glenn Beck or something like that. But, I, you know, I think that both on the right and the left, people are appropriately concerned about overreach, particularly government overreach when it is owned by corporations. And in, right. in virtually all of our federal regulatory agencies now are the victims of regulatory capture. They've been captured by these giant industries that they're supposed to regulate. Back to you, Sue. The um, large corporations that are running our company, our country have also destroyed unions. The only yes. thing the middle class had left to save their butts. I'm sorry, I'm one of the middle class. My responsibility, and everybody else who is listening, our responsibility is, to make sure our children don't pay for our mistakes by, by being so lazy that we aren't fighting this. I understand that a lot of us are going to lose our, you know what, fighting it, but daggone it, there's nothing else we can do. Amen. Very well said, Sue. Very well said. Thank you for the call. Bill in Godfrey, Illinois. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi, Tom. Thanks for, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, Farmer Verizon lawyer, Adjutant effort to give away our internet to the corporations mm -hmm. and in particular there's three senators that I think um, I'd like to uh, shine a light on here um, we've got Dick Durbin uh, Claire McCaskill and Rob Portman and we, we seem to have these senators who are quietly talking the talk in the shadows but they're not really walking the walk now for instance with Dick Durbin in Illinois here senior senator um, I've talked to his staffers in He's all for net neutrality, and he, he wants it to remain Title II. Yet, you know, if you go to, say, battleforthenet.com, they list Dick um, as being um, either unknown on his position or not in favor of net neutrality as a Title II issue. Um, you know, so why he didn't sign the letter that went out from 30 senators on the 4th, I don't understand. If he's for it, then, you know, he should walk the walk, you know. And, right. and you know, similarly with McCaskill, um, she's also uh, in favor of net neutrality. In fact, she, she's got a very good letter that she sent out on her own to the FCC two days after the 4th on the 6th. But once again, why not sign that letter? Um, and then um, the, the third one is Rob Portman in Ohio, where my daughter lives. 
Um, he's a Republican, and he's far. He, you know, he he understands. Uh, you know, in his instance, of course, he's he's thinking that it, it will encourage economic development to keep the internet free. Um, so he's all in favor of it. Um, I talked to his staffers. Um, and in fact, even him and McCaskill worked together on issues of consumer protection and the net. Um, so you know, why McCaskill, for instance, won't reach across the aisle? You know, take. Portman and drag him on, and both of them sign that letter. I mean, we need these guys to band together and show what the real, you know, disposition is. Well, Bill, the bottom line is that they're going to do that. First of all, I, I don't know the rationale for the roughly 20 Democrats who uh, in the in the U.S. Senate who didn't sign that letter. I don't know why they didn't. And, you know, it's a very good question. And, and if anybody has an answer to that, please call in and let us know. But that said, hypothetical okay. uh, suggestion there. Maybe they're really not for net neutrality, and they think if they just kind of st quietly stand by, you know, and give it a weak endorsement, you know, they can just kind of ride the. It could be, or it could be even that they they love net neutrality, but they also love taking money from Comcast. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but but whatever it is, they are going to respond to pressure, and if it's the pressure. And, and the question is going to be, which pressure is greater? Is it going to be the pressure of the campaign contributions from the big ISPs and the lobbyists? And there are hundreds of them in Washington, D.C. right now deployed. I mean, there's like a half a dozen or a dozen lobbyists for every single legislator just on this issue. And, and, and uh, you know, and hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on it, including with phony think tanks coming up with phony papers, saying in a phony way that, you know, blowing up net neutrality will be a wonderful thing, and which Ajipai is using as his rationalization. Um, you know, you've got that. But, but, you know, whether they're going to be responding to the pressure from the industry, which is coming in the form of lobbying and money, or whether they're going to be responding to the pressure from their constituents, which is people like you and me calling their number and, and saying, hey, you know, it's, uh, please, now is the time to uh, put into law net neutrality as most of the other countries of the world have done, uh, certainly all the advanced countries of the world. Uh, you still, I mean, obviously you've got countries that are, you know, clearly censoring and throttling their internet, whether, you know, it's Iran or China or, I mean, you know, fill in the blanks, but, but uh, that's, that is not the direction we should be going or that we want to go. Bill, excellent points all. Thanks for the call. From Bill to Bill, another Bill in Minneapolis. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, thanks for taking my call. How are you? Good. What's up? Uh, yeah, uh, you're such a such a smart guy. I just, I just, you know that the uh, Democratic Party has supported every single American war for the last few decades, right? Iraq and all those, you know, million plus people dead in Iraq, uh, hundreds of thousands. And you know, you you're know, talking about the Republican wars, the bill that that a bill that uh, George W. Bush lied us into. I, you know, this is the exact kind of call that I just, I'm really not interested in having that conversation. Gary in Newport Beach, California. Gary, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Talking Good. about uh, net neutrality. Um, I, you know, I don't think that uh, that having a change in, in, in Democrat or Republican is, is going to change this thing. I think that if you look at what Chattanooga did, Chattanooga set up their own ISP yep. where they they connect directly uh, to the backbone, yep. and, that, and so they're they're not subject to throttling. And I think that if New York, Chicago, 
Miami and Dallas has done that, then I think that would kind of put a kibosh on the Comcast and 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 it would, and Gary. The and there is legislation that has been that is either pending, has been introduced, or is about to be introduced in every state house in the country by, but virtually entirely by Republicans, uh, to preempt the ability of counties or cities to offer low-cost uh, broadband to their citizens. It has to be, you know, it, this, is, this is something, uh, is another part of the major lobbying effort. There are already several states now where it's illegal for a city to do what Chattanooga did, and they're trying to make that right across the country. So, you know, the, the lobbying effort by these telecoms is rolling on, and it's rolling on, you know, really, really rapidly. And the only thing that's going to stop it is if enough of us come out and say, no, you know, we're not going to put up with this. Absolutely. And, and, and Chinaga, uh, Chattanooga had a great ISP, and the state came in and, and, and they said, no, you're not going to do this because they had so much money from, uh, from the ISPs like uh, you know, Comcast and, and Charter and everybody else. It's a shame. Yeah, well, I, th I thought Ch Chattanooga was still uh, still running their their internet uh, offering to the citizens of Chattanooga. They had they had the highest speed of internet than anybody in the country. I know, and the lowest prices because it was being offered by a municipality. But don't they still have that? Well, they have that, but apparently that Chattanooga took money that. Comcast and all the other uh, commercial ISPs offered them so much money. You know, they're privatizing it. I mean, I'm going to have to look into this, Gary. I, I you know, I, I need to learn the contemporary details because I remember when this happened a few years back, but I'm not sure what has happened in the last few months. Gary, thanks for the call. And thanks for listening to SiriusXM. We'll be right back. It's coming up on 15 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of your calls in just a moment. Hey, everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Super Beats for free, plus indicator strips to see how Super Beats is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeats.com on the interwebs. And welcome back. Marty in Evergreen Park, Illinois. Hey, Marty, thanks for uh, calling. Hey, What's Tom, on your mind today? Hey, Tom, thanks for uh, taking my call here. Um, I just wanted to quickly uh, talk about net neutrality and uh, add another thought into the conversation that I'm really, really concerned with. Um, you know, I think it's more nefarious than blocking or slowing down access to websites. Um, but what I was reading about is that Comcast actually injects lines of JavaScript into the web pages that you visit. 
know, you you can DuckDuckGo, Comcast inserts JavaScript. It's all right there. If you need a new modem, it'll pop up. It'll pop up a, uh, a an ad stating that you need a new modem and that they can sell you one. Call this number. And I think that with net neutrality gone, that this practice could get really out of control. Um, I mean, it, now you know you may after net neutrality goes away, you might be getting altered versions of the pages that you actually visit that may be changed from the ISP in transit. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this. I just Googled what you said, and it's amazing. The top hits I used, or I didn't Google it, I DuckDuckGo'd it. Uh, the top one, Comcast inserts 400 lines of JavaScript into every page you see. Com the second one, Comcast Wi-Fi, serving self-promotional ads via JavaScript. The third one, are you aware Comcast is injecting 400 lines of JavaScript? That's, I had no idea. Yeah. No, I know. And if you think about it, I mean, not only will they charge you for accessing the site, they might be altering what you're actually seeing or what well, JavaScript is a, is a security issue. I mean, you know, Java, you can disable JavaScript on your uh, or Java on your on your uh, Apple iPhone. I, and I'm assuming other brands, too. I, I, just, I have an iPhone, so I've, I've seen it. You can disable it in the operating system. Then a lot of people do because they're concerned about security. Well, right. But do, do you know uh, how man-in-the-middle SSL decryption works? Yes. Um, I could quickly explain it. So, like, a, what a firewall Please. will do is you'll create an encrypted session with your firewall, right? And what your firewall does is it, it, it establishes that, certificate, that, that security certificate from the firewall back to your computer. And what it does is it generates another one simultaneously with the, with the server or website that you're trying to visit. So it'll get that traffic encrypted. The firewall will decrypt it and then inspect it, make sure that it's not malicious, and then re-encrypt it and send it back to the browser so the browser thinks everything's okay. So now if net neutrality is gone, they could decrypt that information, insert whatever they want you to see, re-encrypt that so the end user thinks that you have an encrypted SSL. Well, it looks like they're doing that right now by inserting JavaScript. Yeah, yeah, no, I know it's. Uh, um, so we might not even be getting. We might be getting completely altered information, and with so many protocols like voice over IP and all this other, you know, all this other ways that we use the internet, um, we might not. We might be entering a really weird time where we're not even sure of what we're, who we're even talking to, or how you know what we're even communicating you know and right, right now there's like at least a generalized trust that you know when you go to a site that you're actually seeing what they want you to see you know but that might be changing yeah it's uh this is this is fascinating i was completely unaware of this i'm reading one of the articles over at ars technica uh by david kravitz comcast wi-fi serving self-promotional ads via javascript injection the practice raises security and net neutrality issues as fcc moles internet reforms fascinating stuff. Marty, thanks for giving me the heads up on this. Phew. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Andrew in Pueblo, Colorado. Hey, Andrew, what's on your mind today? Uh, uh, good afternoon, Tom. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I just wanted to ask your opinion. The uh, conservative, well, the Trump loyalists and Fox so-called news were mounting this uh, backlash against Robert Mueller. Do you think they'll be successful in creating any kind of uh, disruption of the ongoing investigations? I think that they probably have already had some success in 
at least marginalizing the credibility of the investigations in the minds of the Trump base. Uh, you know, Fox and, and, and right-wing hate radio have been very, very effective propaganda vehicles for, for well, them. But whether they're hurting the investigation itself, uh, I, I, the, the major threat to the investigation is that Trump can defund and, uh, it. No, I'm, I'm wondering uh, what they're doing. Could that be construed as uh, uh, suppressing, well, what's the word for it? Uh, uh, Obstruction of justice? Obstruction of justice. Could that be construed as that? I don't know. Do you, see I, you know, it's uh, obstruction of justice is a pretty broad term and it can apply to a lot of things or not. And, you know, ends up having to be adjudicated. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't believe that the press, Fox or even right wing hate radio, uh, saying anything is is you know, I think it's protected by the First Amendment, so it arguably is not obstruction of justice. Um, what, yeah. it, what it's doing is, is it's destroying the integrity of our democracy. Yeah, and, it's showing doubt. It's yeah, and doing. these guys, they don't give a damn about the integrity of our democracy. They just care about their tax breaks, you know, for their billionaires and, and uh, being able to pollute the air and water more. I mean, it's yeah. real, real simple. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we have to understand it in that context. But, uh, you know, we'll, the, the, big, the big threat to the Mueller investigation is if Donald Trump figures out a way, and there's several ways he could do it, figures out a way to shut down the investigation altogether. And that, that would provoke a constitutional crisis. That would be a big deal. That's what Richard Nixon did when he fired, what was it, uh, Archibald Cox and oh, then Ruckelshaus, as I recall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that led directly to his impeachment. Whether history will repeat itself, that's an open question. Andrew, thanks for the call. Patty in Eugene, Oregon. Hey, Patty, what's up? Exactly. What is a constitutional crisis? I keep hearing, oh, that's going to happen, and that's going to be, and it happens. And, oh, this is going to happen, and that's going to be a constitutional crisis, and then it happens. And you just said it again. What does that mean? And, by the way, the twinkle in your eye, since you've been back and Portland has been great, and you got to know you make your daddy proud. Well, thank what you. is a constitutional crisis? Great question, Patty. A constitutional crisis is not a, uh, a clearly defined legal or even political term. Basically what it means is that there isn't a consensus, there isn't a shared belief about what the Constitution says the rules of a particular game would be. And so when you end up with, for example, the executive branch, the president saying, I'm going to do A, and then Congress says, no, we're going to do B, then the Supreme Court intervenes and says, no, you're, you, neither one of you are going to do that, or takes the side of one or the other. The, the way that, you know, under the original, under, under the Constitution before the Supreme Court started interpreting it, it would have ended up, typically, it would have ended up with the first among equals, the, the, the Congress, the House and Senate, having the ability to ultimately define what the laws are and what they mean. But in 1803, in a case called Marbury versus Madison, the Supreme Court took upon itself the power to determine what the laws mean, laws passed by Congress and signed by the president. So the Supreme Court has, as a consequence of their own decision, something that's not in the Constitution, has taken onto themselves the power to strike down laws and to literally create laws. 
see Buckley versus Vallejo or Citizens United as examples of that, or for that matter, Roe v. Wade, an example of the, the Supreme Court actually making law. It's not, a, it's not allowed in the Constitution, but they have given themselves the power to do that. So then we get to what, you know, so that in a way has, has uh, minimized some constitutional crises. A, a great example in 1856 when Roger Taney, Tawney, excuse me, uh, was the uh, Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court in the Dred Scott decision. He ruled that people of color were not people, that they were property. And he said he was doing this to avert a constitutional crisis, that you had, you know, the executive branch was saying one thing about slavery or candidates for same, you know, Abraham Lincoln. And, and on the other hand, you had Congress and there was all this debate in Congress and should we end slavery or shouldn't we, blah, 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 blah. And so Tawney thought he would solve the problem forever with Dred Scott. And what it did is it led us directly into the, into the Civil War. But it, quote, solved the constitutional crisis. In other words, finally, somebody had the final say. And the Supreme Court has had the final say basically since 1856. There were only two decisions in the entire 1900s, or the entire 1800s, excuse me, 19th century, uh, only two decisions that the Supreme Court did where they made this, we're going to make law, we're going to strike down law, and we're going to be the final arbiters here. Now it's every session they do this. And so the constitutional crisis that could come about is if the legislative branch um, says you can't, we're not going to fund the investigation. Or if the executive branch says we're going to stop making payments, even though Congress has authorized the payments. Um, and then the Supreme Court steps in and they take one side or the other. And, and, and it, you know, there's just not a clear definition of what's going on. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see if we get there. I, I, I'm skeptical, but, you know, I mean, for example, if Richard Nixon had not resigned, well, if Richard Nixon hadn't resigned, actually, we probably would just would have had an impeachment, which would not have been a constitutional crisis. So it's really, Patty, to answer your question in short form, it is a political term. And it means basically, you know, crazy stuff is going on that you know, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with that we haven't dealt with in the past. Patty, thank you for the call. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's a fascinating day. We'll find out tonight. You know, is it Doug Jones? Great guy, great prosecutor. Uh, you know, uh, guy who put a New York terrorist in jail, guy who put the Ku Klux Klan who killed four girls down in, in uh, Mississippi in, or in Alabama in jail, or is it going to be Roy Moore? God forbid. Anyhow, don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 